Welcome in to another episode of Hockey Royalty Live, the official podcast of HockeyTRoyalty.com. Messed that one up there, but we're going to have a lot to talk about today. Um, uh, did something go on in Kingsland? I think there was a trade or something. We'll get into it. Uh, get in the chat, like, and subscribe. Let's go. Well, Joe, it's just you and I, uh, you know, our, uh, the third prong to the triumphant is, uh, in a layover right now. He had a Twitter spaces earlier, letting fans come on there and gave his opinion. So, uh, if, I think he might be posting that tomorrow, uh, on the podcast. So if you want to listen to that, he's going to try to get me the audio there, but Joe and I got some opinions as well. We're going to be going back and forth. Obviously we talked a little bit about what the possibility would mean a couple episodes ago, uh, you know, pros and cons and everything like that. Got pretty heated. I'm sure we're going to have some debate here tonight. But before we dive in, Joe, how are you doing, my man? I'm all right. I'm all right. And yeah, I did. I tried to. It was the the timing of it all was was rough. I had to pick the kids up, so I tried to catch at least a little bit of the listening on Russ's Twitter Spaces for a little bit there uh, on the way to get the boys after work. Um, but a pretty it's been a pretty kind of crazy few days, uh, you could say, as a it's kind of a fan. I love this stuff. I, I think a lot of people get annoyed with it, which I totally understand. I love it. I love the, the the rumors. I love the talks. I love the speculation. I don't know why. I can't explain why I love it, but I love it. Um, and you never know who to believe or what's what. Nobody knows anything. And then you got everybody's tweeting out this and that. But it's just, to me, it's fun. Like at the end of the day, it's not, we're not there. We're not. Like at the end of the day, we're fans and we, we obviously do this as kind of, you know, analysts, if you will, on the pod. But it's fun. Like, I think it should be fun. I understand why it can be annoying for some, but I love it. Uh, so the more chaos, the better for me. And right before the draft. So a lot of fun. I mean, I'm just glad it wasn't a two year saga like the Chikrin thing. It was <laughs> it was over pretty quickly. Um, but uh, let's get in the chat here. Uh, Tapong comes in with some just some just waving, swaving hello there. Uh, CJ coming in. What a day. Let's talk some hockey. Hold the 92. This should be a really good episode. Yes, it will be. Tom Cruise, I'm not really a fan of this trade. Well, we'll get into that. Maybe I won't be either. Uh, can't chat, but go Kings go from Carter Scores. Nick Froman comes in with a hey, fellas, go Kings go. So let's let's get into it first. Trade came in a couple days ago. Sean Dersey going to Arizona for a second. That second was used in this upcoming trade. Uh, overall, you know, it's obviously those two are going to mail a little bit. We're going to focus more on the PLD. But do you think they got fair value for Sean Jersey? Yeah. Yep. I mean, I think if if we all were talking like there's, there's a log jam on the right side. Um, and I just I don't think you were going to. Jersey wasn't ever going to be a centerpiece to a deal. Um, I think it was just I think they got fair value. Like, I, I don't think that the. Wow second round pick. I think that's a, a, a perfectly fair value for, for what Sean Dersey brings. I loved him. I loved his game, but understand that there's just a log jam, you know, we got Clark and Spence banging down the door. So it's just a tough spot to fill a, you know, for him to find a role. And um, despite I, I was a fan of his game, I love the emotion he brought to the game. Um, 
but understood it, you know, and obviously that was a, a bit of a precursor. You knew something was coming after that. It's just a matter of what and when. Um, but the Kings did need to, to A, shed a roster spot and B, um, a little bit of cap space. So that's that's what happened there. But yes, fair value. Yeah, I, I, I like this trade. I, don't, I, th- I think that Spence has nothing more to prove in the AHL. Yep. You know, I'm, you know, Clark Mania over here. So, and he's got plenty of emotion. So we're not losing emotion. We probably gained more emotion with how, how Clark plays there and uh, his sellies. But, you know, you look at, we acquired him in that trade. Uh, you know, he was a second round pick. We got a second round pick for him. Um, you know, and that's multiple years after you drafted, right? So you usually see when a player is drafted, his shine is lost, right? I, you're, you're not getting the fifth overall pick for Alex Turcotte right now. So, like, your shine gets lost a little bit with Jersey. He was kind of an afterthought in the AHL in this trade, right? Carl Grunstrom gets brought up first. Jersey's kind of the afterthought of this deal, and everybody's like, okay, well, was that kind of a throw-in? And then he made a name for himself on the team. Second most productive uh, offensive defenseman. Really showing he can play some solid minutes on the right and left side. And I think it's the perfect landing spot for him. I think that he could be a uh, – I mean, he's probably their – he's their highest paid defenseman. He's probably going to be their number one right shot D on that on that side unless they bring somebody in or there's a prospect that I'm not aware of. So it's they're going to really give him an opportunity to shine and earn some major money where he wasn't going to get that opportunity on the Kings. So I think it works well for Sean Dersey. It works well for the Kings. Um, you know, I've always been a fan of, of the prospects earning their way onto a roster, but also be given a chance to earn that. And Clark is now being given a chance to earn, uh, his, his station as the future for the Los Angeles Kings as right D one. And this is where his journey really begins in that. So with that said, let's talk to the, one of the most polarizing trades that I've seen in a while. I, I think the speculation of the trick and trade was pretty similar. There was a lot of people that hated the guy. There was a lot of people that loved the the idea. Um, I mean, just looking at the chat already, Angel coming in, I think this could be turned out to be one of the dumbest trades we've ever traded, our entire third line for one player. So, you know, it just – and then you have people all day. I mean, all yesterday for eight straight hours, I was combating people that said I didn't know what I was talking about. So it was just this vigor of the, the Kings fan base, you got to love it. Um, but Hey, we're getting, we're getting Pierre Luc Dubois, former third overall pick. Um, he went to Columbus and then got traded to Winnipeg, um, stayed in Winnipeg there. And then we trade him for Ayafala, Velarde, Kupari, and then the second that we got for Jersey. So if you want to put Jersey as that's how we got him, essentially four starters for, for, for one player. I'm gonna let, I'm, I don't want to start the show on a negative foot, so I'm going to let you be positive first, Joe. What were you, Obviously, you were a fan of Pierre-Luc Dubois. You were a fan of yep. this trade. What is your biggest reason for liking this trade in your opinion? So I think there's a couple things to break out here, and you you stop me at any point. And, mm-hmm. and so there's the player, there's the trade, and there's the contract is how I've kind of like trying to look at this. So we'll start with the player. Yes, as you know, I, I love the player. He's been one of my favorite players really since he was drafted. I just he's I think when we first started doing making it rain, Randon, I think you would ask me my style of player. And it's hard mm-hmm. not to like Andre Kopitar and see a big, imposing centerman that can dominate at two ends of the ice. 
And while obviously I understand that, that Dubois isn't quite Andre Kopitar, he is a 6'3", big body centerman who plays, and I think this is something that is getting completely overlooked with Pierre-Luc Dubois, the player, because everybody, for some odd reason, is only looking at his points. And they just kind of end the conversation there. This is a very hard player. He scores goals from the crease. He's willing to go behind the net. He's willing to drop the gloves if need be. He is, as was described, I want to give proper credit. I think it was Eric Stevens in The Athletic. Could be wrong, but I believe he was. it was him. that described him as a bull in the china shop type of player. Is this not exactly what Kings fans have been clamoring for for a while now? A big, hard-to-play-against, but also skillful center who can drive play? Uh, I mean, he checks all those boxes. So, and I so look let's at, just let's just start there with his style sure, of play. Sure, I agree with you. A lot of people have been claiming for that. I have included on our draft show. We wanted a guy with skill, grit, not afraid to get in people's faces, being a pest. Uh, you know, the you know that Caden Lind is you know not an elite offensive talent. He's not a third overall pick like Pierre Luc Dubois. Maybe it's me that I don't watch enough hockey. I always bash East Coast people for not staying up late. Maybe I, I don't watch hockey early enough. Maybe I'm working and I don't see Winnipeg play a lot. But I just wasn't impressed with him when he playing the Kings. Um, maybe that was oversightment by me. Maybe that was me not being around the game as much as you have. I just wasn't overly impressed with the guy. And I'll be for I'll be honest that I have all my debates here coming in tonight against you are all numbers-based. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how to properly break down film, right? You look at uh, the Niners podcast I listened to, and he goes, there's a vastly different nature of watching the game and breaking down film and how athletes look at film and what's going on. And you're a former hockey athlete. You're a current hockey coach. So you have a different eye than I do. But fans, including me, call them soft. Sure. Call him a whiner. Call him uh, unmotivated, n- not energy, not not driven on the ice. The the Twitter uh, clip of him just going around for a solid thirty seconds, not hitting the puck or hitting anybody, mm-hmm. has been scrolling around Twitter. So where where am I wrong? Where am I missing? This I talk, compared yeah, to, yeah. Or to compared so, to that. So I want to talk about that because that's another part of the player that I really do want to get to. So. Back in Columbus, there's really no defense for how he handled himself at the end. Um, Listen, he's not the first player to want out of Columbus. Uh, Jeff Carter wanted out of Columbus, and that worked out quite well for the Kings. And he was very – he pouted his half season there too to the point where uh, Columbus fans didn't like him when he went back. Like, So he's not the first one to want out of Columbus – He's not the first guy to have issues with John Tortorella. And I also consider he was 21 years old at the time and he was immature. And unfortunately, and this is kind of a lesson for like just life. Hey, you act like that and you float around the ice like that and you pout. That's going to stay with you until you get rid of that. So that is a fair criticism after that coming out of Columbus and how he acted. That said, I don't under I don't know that it's the same thing in Winnipeg. He had moments, and I I'm, I'll find his Twitter. Uh, one of the the writers for the Athletic, I can't remember his name offhand, but I want to give him proper credit. Said Dubois was the best player on the Jets for the first fifty games of the season. He was a dominant 
first line center. He said he, along with a lot of the other Jets, in January just they hit a spot. They struggled for like six weeks or so. Um, but he never, unless I'm wrong here, he never asked out of Winnipeg. He never demanded a trade out of Winnipeg. He was never an attitude problem with Winnipeg. He was asked about signing a long-term extension, and he said he, he, he didn't see his long-term future in Winnipeg. And I would say which is di- which is completely which is completely different. Asking right. out of Winnipeg versus not wanting to sign a control. He didn't want to sign a long-term extension. He didn't he said he wasn't going to sign a long-term extension, which is his right to do. So no, but nobody could, blamed Johnny Gaudreau for leaving Calgary. No. Nobody blamed Matthew Kachuk for demanding a trade, by the way, either. Yeah. Right? He's praised. Dubois gets crapped on. But anyways, he he didn't. Um, and yes, um, D- Derek Olson, um, Murat eight, I'm going to butcher that name. Um, he's the one that, yes, he's the one that, uh, the, it was him that said that he did an excellent job, by the way, covering all this. So in if anything, he was very complimentary of Winnipeg in his press conference afterwards. Like he was, he just simply said, I don't want to stay in Winnipeg and going to be honest, guys, not a lot of people want to go to Winnipeg or stay in Winnipeg. So I'm not going to kill the guy. He he's got this rap from back in Columbus and it hasn't escaped him. Now, part of that's on him because, Hey, he did it. But listen, I think if you've got a motivated Pierre-Luc Dubois in Los Angeles, which it sounds like he is, this is a guy that is a, an impactful 200 foot player. So I have, I have no concerns about his, his attitude. You look at it, there's other athletes, and I'm not saying he ever played to the pinnacle of these, but you look at the Antonio Browns, the you know, the the uh, Terrell Owens, those types of players, shout out to Cinco's. And I'm 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 only coming up with football guys right now. Maybe you can come up with some hockey guys, but the, their attitude that they're not they're not good locker room guys, that they're only out for themselves, that they're not motivated other than money, that stays with you your entire career. And fairly or unfairly. Pierre-Luc Dubois has been judged based off of him being a 20, 21-year-old. And to be honest with you, I've done a little bit of that myself. I look at his stats defensively, which aren't very good. His stats in the face-off dot aren't very good. And we'll get into that. A lot of those are are effort-based skill sets to learn. Putting the time in on the defensive side of the puck, putting time in the face-off dot. Who does that sound like? That sounds like Gabriel Velarde. And when he finally cared, he brought that up. Now, is that a sign? You're a professional athlete. You should do that on your own. And now he did say, hey, I'm excited to come to the King City Express Conference and learn the face-off dot from two of the best in Deneau and Kopitar. So maybe he's realized that about his game. He's not the first player to want to – go ahead. No, I was going to say, the other thing, and I want to – I appreciate that you mentioned Kopitar and Deneau because, again, so you've got this kid in Columbus. He's he's at like this with Tortorella. And so he ends up saying, get me the hell out of here. Um, So he goes to Columbus, a Columbus team that had – I can't remember now if it's Wheeler or Shifley. It was Wheeler, I think, was the captain, had the C stripped. There's been issues in Columbus for a little while now. Uh, Yeah, I'm sorry, Winnipeg. And I think it predated – when Dubois got there, not the strongest of leadership course, at least from the outside looking in. You go to Los Angeles, you're walking into a group that's got an established leadership core. You've got Andre Kopitar, Phil Deneau's been there now, Drew Doughty's there, Matt Roy's there, Mikey Anderson is establishing himself as a leader. 
this is a veteran team that's been there and done that. So a couple of the guys have won cups. This is this is not the same scenario. He's not coming in to be any sort of savior. He's coming in to slot in in the middle and be another guy on this team. So I think from a leadership standpoint, I, I'm telling you, and maybe I'm just really rosy here, and because I am biased because I like the player, but I just I don't buy into the attitude thing being a problem until I see it because I didn't see it in Winnipeg. There, shoot, when that guy was on. And he did it against the Kings. He was probably the the the, the Jets' best forward in playoffs against against uh, uh, Vegas, especially that first game. He's a player, so I think the question that people have about his attitude are fair because he's earned it. But I think they're leaning way too much into his time in Columbus versus what I think he could be. And again, he didn't ask to go to Winnipeg, so presumably he wanted out of Columbus. He just said, listen, guys, it's fine here. I don't want to be here, though. He picked L.A. He didn't have to sign here in Los Angeles. So presumably this is where he wants to be, and he's talking as if he's excited excited to be here. It's a totally different potential for this player, in my opinion. Before I get to the L.A. thing, what do you think about what I said about the faceoff dot in defensive hockey? Is is an effort-style hockey. And learning how to play that side of the game, he's been in the league seven years. Isn't that being a professional? Isn't that part of your job as a hockey player to to learn those skill sets, especially if you're going to be a number one C? No question. But a couple things. I go back to that leadership thing, right? And again, I, it's a little unfair for me to say this from my couch here in Rochester, New York, about the leadership in Winnipeg. But there's just <laughs> there's just been a lot of like buzz coming out of there that it's just shaky ground, right? It's just not the case. It's very it's very like stoic, I would almost call it, in Los Angeles. Again, with Kopitar, with Dowdy, with with the guys I mentioned before. So I think that there's not going to be much of an issue getting him to, for lack of a better term, fall in line. I go back to Carter and Richards. If you remember when Carter and Richards got out of Philly, not exactly known as character guys, right? With Drinking, strip clubs. Yeah. So media issues with the media, Mike Richards battling with the media. And what happened? They went to a veteran club, Andre Kopitar, Jared Stoll, they get Dustin Brown, right? All these guys. And they just settle in. They're just, they're just another guy. Like they don't have to be the guy. They're just settling into another guy. So I genuinely don't have any concerns. I mean, because I trust the leadership group. And again, I trust the fact that, Hey, you're inking a deal for eight, eight years to stay here. Then you want to be here. I trust you're going to get give your best. And you, you're right. And listen, another thing to, to consider there with, with the defensive zone and all that stuff, Winnipeg hasn't exactly been known as being a, a stalwart defensive club over the last handful of years where the Kings, Todd McClellan, he, he prides himself these days on being a good defensive team with good defensive structure. So, you know, it could be learning curve. Remember, remember the early days of 2022, 2023 was a crap show, right? With, with missed assignments and the Kings all over the place, they weren't getting saved. So maybe Dubois has got a learning curve to get to the new system and, and all that stuff. And that could take an, a month or so, but beyond that, I think, um, you know, I, I, that's, I don't know. It's not big of an issue for me. Before we get moving on that, man, this chat is buzzing. We're strong in here. Thank you guys for coming in here. Please hit the like and subscribe button. Um, can I, appreciate you can I, can, yeah. Oh, you know what? We haven't, I'll, I'll hold this until we actually get to the actual trade piece. I know we're talking about the player himself. Right yeah. Now, but, uh, so the LA thing, I'm going to ask you this is LA the new destination in hockey. You're getting multiple people wanting to come here 
And a lot of players have said the reason why is one, good weather. Can't be that, right? LA taxes are similar to Canadian taxes. So, I mean, you're not really, there's no really much differential there. But the main thing is the media market, right? Marsha so said the same thing in LA to where it's not a Canadian media market. If I miss a goal, if I don't get a point for five straight games, I'm not getting hounded every single interview about my play. And I can just be a hockey player. I don't have to worry about um, that on a night in and night out basis. Obviously, he probably had to answer a lot of questions in Columbus about being the number three overall pick and, and, and what's going on with Tortorella uh, and have to see all the comments that his coach is making about him. And then Winnipeg, where he was essentially brought there to lead them, right, um, along with Kyle Connor and Shifley and that. So now, like you said, he's coming in and be one of the guys. He's probably not going to be asked a lot of questions outside the first beginning of the season where all, every media member is going to want to get their hands on him. Uh, including us here at Hockey Royalty. So if LA Kings PR uh, wants to send him over, we'll be glad to uh, to have him. But um, he could just be one of the guys. He could show up and play hockey, and maybe it's about enjoying the game again. And like, may, is that LA that type of market where there's way more pos- positives that outweigh the negatives of of the high intense markets like Montreal, that which was he was rumored to go to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, why would you I mean, want to go? I mean, unless you legitimately just thrive in that environment and want to walk into the lion's den of of Montreal or Toronto or one of those places and Winnipeg's going to be packed with cameras and reporters left and right, too. We're in Los Angeles. Eh, it's much more laid back. And frankly, it's much more friendly, if you will, like it's it's kind of like ask a question and we move on it's it's you know it's not exactly um they're not beating down the players too much here right and so it's got to be uh a a much easier environment in that sense and and um real quick i will say because i know you flashed a couple on the board there yeah fellas hey we really appreciate this this comment section is 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 flying right now i would love to see all the comments we're going to get to a lot of them we got over 90 people in here only a couple likes on the tube give us a couple likes that'd be fantastic just go hit that thumbs up button why not right especially if you're a fan of pierre luke to trade go hit that thumbs up button <laughs> that would be fantastic but anyways so yeah i mean it's a lot e- it has to be a lot easier to play in los angeles than a place like winnipeg or obviously the the, the other team that was heavily rumored in this was uh was Montreal yeah there's he hasn't he hasn't been the only one I mean Fiala kind of mentioned a little bit uh different sport Zach Rinke right pitcher uh longtime pitcher he went and played for a heavy market in LA and was like hey this isn't for me man I'd rather go play in Kansas City or Arizona and just get on the mound and pitch every five days and not worry about having to answer every freaking question after every after every start and some people are just like that they just want to show up and handle their business and 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 not go there so um Let's get into the type of player I think that that people think he is, which is the the lazy type player. You say otherwise. He's you say he's got some grit. You say he's got some fight, oh, yeah. which is exactly what I like. And I've seen I've seen um, uh, Russ throw up some some clips of of him getting in people's faces. To Chuck has become probably one of my play, my favorite player, if not my favorite player, not on LA's roster. And because he does that, he's skillful, he gets in your face, he protects his team, reminds me a lot of, you know, Dustin Brown being able to throw in the hits and score in the goals. You look at Ovechkin 
throwing the hits, getting the goals. I think that's the type of player with some nastiness in the top six that the the team needs. Is that is that truly who he is, or are these just clips? No, it's, he, he plays a hard game. I mean, you look at his – I think uh, – boy, I'm going to misquote this too. Uh, it might have actually been Blake. It might have been the LA Kings insider, Zach Dewey, that had, was quoting him, and I think something along the lines of he's – Got, he's, a, he's one of only a handful of players in the last two years that has 100 points and 100 penalty minutes. Like, he is not afraid to throw his weight around. He's not afraid to be physical. He will drop the gloves if he, you know, he's not a fighter, but he is certainly not afraid to do it. So, again, I just think he's a, he brings a different style that this team and particularly the fan base has been begging for. Um, so, I, again, I think he's a really good fit in that sense. I, I, I'm a, I'm afraid that you might be winning me over by the end of this podcast, and I'm going to try to stay stern and, and as much <laughs> as possible. Uh, so I just think that I think it's for me. It's been like this is all hypothetical on what this player could be. He's not. Uh, yes, he's not. Yes, he's not a true number one seed. If you look at the stats, right? Like, like, right? Individual point production, right? So I filtered it with players over 500 minutes. So essentially starters at five on five. There were 260 players better than him in in the National Hockey League. He mm-hmm. only he only scored a point on 61 percent of the times there was a point scored while he was on the ice or goal scored while he was on the ice. Now he's supposed to be adding this power play dynamic. So I I felt like okay well hey this power he's a power play guy with over 150 minutes in on the power play he's only contributed to the goal 60 percent of the time which is 98th in the NHL. You know some players that were higher than that on five on five? All the players in the other trade going the other way. Shupari, <laughs> I follow. Velarde were all higher than him on that. So are we really getting the offensive juggernaut? I mean, it wasn't like he wasn't playing with weapons. Kyle Connors, a former 40-goal scorer. Mark Shifley, offensive player. Like, are these is is he really going to be a player that is is highly able to score points? Because I think a lot of people are like, Okay, well, now he's in a different situation. He's going to be a point-per-game player. Sometimes in sports, players are just who they are. Is he is he is just a 60-point player? And did we vastly – well, I guess we won't get into the contract net. But I have a fear that he's vastly overpaid for what the production that he's put out so far. Am, am, I, am I wrong here to be skeptical about, about this? I mean, I know you really like him, but where, where would you counteract that, I guess? I think it's fair to have the questions because the point production has been, listen, I mean, I go back and forth on this because I think it's a little overstated because especially from Kings fans, because they have had a number one center for the last, how many years has Kopitar been here? It's been 12 years, 13 years. Um, He's not a point of game guy in his career. I had one season, I think where he's a point of game guy. So I don't want to lean. I don't like leaning so much into points and just flat production. You're right. Like, listen, if you're going to pay the guy what the Kings paid him, you know, you do hope that that 60 point floor is more like 65, 70 floor. And he spikes like Kopitar was a 70 point guy for a while, spiked in 81, spiked in 90 point season. Like, and you have a couple of those spikes over the years, right? Like, but I think if he can be a 65 to 75 point player, just looking at pure point production, 
plus what the, all the other stuff that he brings, his net front on the PP, his down low work on the PP. Uh, again, that physical presence that he brings, that depth down the middle that strengthens the Kings roster, play driving, all that stuff. Like I think all of that combined, it, it can make it worth it. And again, he's, he's doing it at a, at a, at a premier position. I, I buy the center position as being an important one. I buy being strong down the middle. Um, and he certainly okay. adds that. So for centers that are getting paid route, what he's getting paid. And this is from mm -hmm. Morsey at one K Morsey on Twitter. Okay. Sebastian Ajo, Rope okay. Hintz, Tim yep. Stutzla, Thomas yep. Hurdle, Robert yep. Thomas, Jack yep. Hughes, Elias Pettersson, Tage Thompson, and he's getting paid the same as Drysdale. Would you take him over any of those players? Because I know I wouldn't. First of all, Drysdale or Drysdale, yeah. He he he's about to get that. He's at the end of that contract, so that's going to go up by like a lot. So um, fine, even take him out. It would you take sure. him over the other eight? I know. Um, I would. Well, so I want to be clear. Like I don't know. I'm not saying that Dubois is a top five or top. I think he's in that top 15 center range, top 20 center range in the NHL. I'm not saying he's a top 10 center per se, but again, I, I look at it more of a, of a total package and total picture. I mean, in terms of the way he plays, I, yeah, I mean, those guys are more productive. Like they've, they've clearly shown to be more productive players in terms of pure offensive output. There's no, I won't, I won't certainly won't argue that. Um, Cause there was some play, I was looking at a similar list you know, and those are all guys. I think he actually makes more than those guys. But like Dylan Larkin, he's right there. Bo Horvath, he's right there. Those were two that I write in that 8.5 range, I think. Yeah, he makes more than him. all the guys I mentioned. Yeah. Yes, I would take him over Horvath. I would take him over um, uh, who's there? Dylan Larkin. Um, Mika Zibanejad was also in that mix, and Zibanejad's an excellent player. Um, so, no, that's that's fair. That's fair. Uh, and again, I, I'm I'm he he's not as offensively productive as those guys as those guys have been. Um, I think that's a very fair thing to point out. But I don't think the contract because th those guys aren't making like six. It's not as if those guys are making. No, those are all know, within all within a, a mil and a half of. Yeah, um, and and I would argue if you were to look at say I know the athletic does an excellent job with. Um, you know, the player cards and they, what they try to do is they look at the market value of the player. I would bet all of those guys are playing to like $10 million. So, well, maybe not all of them. I bet some of those guys are playing to like $10 million market value where Dubois, I think Dubois, ironically, I think this past year Dubois played at an $8.5 million market value, ironically. Um, so I guess we might as well talk about the contract before we get to the trade. Um, since we're, we're kind of talking about that or skirting around it, the contract, he was never going to get nine from me because there was no precedent. There was no comparable for that. But in my head, I was like, okay, if it starts with a seven, that's a great deal for LA eight felt the sweet spot felt right. Maybe most fair 8.5. It's a little on the high end. Like I, I definitely was, was hoping more for eight or closer to eight than 8.5. Um, that said, I do think he can exceed that value over the course of this contract because of his age and because of his ability and because of, again, the situation that I think he finds himself in. I don't think it's an egregious number. I think it's the, I think it's the max, right? I think that you're, you're, you're paying the premium 
So it leaves little wiggle room for him to exceed that. And that's teams, teams that win are going to have teams that exceed guys that exceed their contract value. So it's, um, you know, the 8.5 is, 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 it's, again, it's 500 more, uh, uh, a year than I would have preferred. I, I, I look at it this way too. And there was a time that was, I think it was right before, uh, pasta got his extension and Bershon, uh, Bergeron, Marshawn and, and pasta were all making 7 million on the first line, the mm-hmm. steal for Boston. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Kopitar, his payment's going to be going down from 11 mil to whatever he signs. And we'll just, we'll say that's seven, right? His, his play goes down a little bit. He gets like a two year seven per. Sure. Well, now your one, two, three center is making eight and a half, seven, and five and a half. And that, that kind of seems like a bargain, especially with the cap going up by five million. It so it might seem like the center core is getting paid vastly more than what they should be. Like you said, it's the premium for Pierre Luc Dubois. It's probably the most a 60 point player has ever been paid. So, you know, it's he has to produce in order to yes. make that contract feel valid. Yes. But in a in a crystal ball type world, you could see this contract or the center depth, like the total of the the spine, as you as you called it on Twitter, be rather affordable as a as a chunk for a one, two, three being roughly at 20 million for the first three lines in, 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 a, in a year or two. And yeah. I, I think that maybe is that's where it's like in the future, that might not be too bad going forward. I, I agree. I think it, it's, it, yeah, I think that's well said because um, yeah, I think we all expect Kopitar to be making, you know, maybe not quite half, but six, seven million, as you say. And yeah, you see some of these, you're you're going to see top centermen in the league in the in the not so distant future. They're all making ten million dollars. There's a yeah. there's a what half of them? Not half of them. There's like five or six of them right now that make at least that. You're going to see more of that as as we go along. So I mean, it's it is what it is. Um, so the fact that Dubois is at eight point five, that says he's not one of those elite one C's. Maybe he's a back end one C, high end two C. I think that's exactly where he fits. And and he's gonna have seasons where maybe production wise he's more two C. I think he's gonna have seasons where he produces as a one C. I just think he's that I think he's a low end one C, high end two C, but there's a there's there's room to grow, is is how I look at this. Like I, so real I, I don't I mean last year I was all in on Jack Eichel. He's not Jack Eichel. Yeah. I want to be clear. I'm not saying he's as good as Jack Eichel. So, and that's, I just want to, for reference, I guess. I, I see, I see, I've seen a couple of people say that we gave up more for Dubois than Vegas gave up for No, I want to get to that. It's one of the things that, uh, one of the comments I saw, what did Vegas give up for Eichel? And I can't disagree with that statement anymore. So, Vegas gave up Alex Tuck, Peyton Krebs, a first round pick and a second round pick. Alex Tuck is better than anything the Kings gave up. Peyton Krebs is a significantly better prospect than Erasmus Kapari. Yeah. A first and a second. It's not close. There was a much bigger deal than, than what Dubois got. And not and Eichel was injured. And Eichel was coming off a pretty significant back injury and, uh, you know, had a $10 million cap hit to go along with it. So, 
that deal, in my opinion, isn't even close. Um, I guess maybe if you want, it's up to you if you want to take this to the contract now, Randall, or to the trade itself, Randall, because um, I do think, I actually think Winnipeg where, just. Where yeah. do you, where, before that, where do you think, in order for this to be worth it, as far as from a money standpoint, where do you think he has to produce? What level would make you feel comfortable at 8.5 mil? If he can, if his floor over the next, um, so eight years, eight years, I guess. If his if his floor is a sixty five point player, that's his floor. If that's where he's he's at, in on an eighty two game pace, right? Eighty game pace. If he's a sixty five point player, and then where he has seasons where he gets to throughout that, right? He's going to have seasons where he goes to seventy five or to sixty seven or to 78, or to 80, 72. Like, I think if he's consistently there, and maybe I'm being that, – that, that could be optimistic. Right? But as long as if, – if he's doing that, but is the, but he's playing that 200-foot game, he's playing big-time minutes in special teams, he's playing that presence, again, I think 8.5 is an okay number. Like, I don't think that, especially by all accounts, the cap is going to be going up soon. Like – I just don't think that's a prohibitive number for a guy that's going to be a solidly top six center, whether he's one or two, because I think the other question here that I'm sure we're going to end up getting to is what happens with Quentin Byfield in two, three, four years? Where is he playing? Is he a center? Is he a winger? So, you know, I think I agree as a paid player, you do need to produce. I don't want to downplay the production. So I think he, if he can settle in as a floor around that 65-point number as the, as the floor, at least be consistent there and then spike some in the 70s and maybe 80s, I think we're I think the Kings are fine. we got a couple here. It says, Angel says, you know, PLD would have to be a 90-point player to make this make sense. Tom Cruise coming in here, he would have to be at least somewhere between 75 and 82-point player for, for this money to make sense. I, for me... I think I'm right around where Tom Cruise is coming in at. I think if he flirts with a point per game guy every season, I'd be fine with eight point. But I gotta. Can I ask though? Are we being a homerism because Andre Kopitar's never been a point one season? He was a point per game player. But Pierre Dubois is not a selfie winner. So okay, but so but all we've been talking about is points though. So that's why it's like a little. So he's not, but he's not a defensive. He's not a defensive he person. So a, he has. He's 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 not a bad defensive center. Agree to disagree there. Um, <laughs> I just think you're looking at if you're going to be a selkie winner and you're going to play 25 minutes a night, it's different than playing so 18 minutes that. a night. It's and focusing solely on offense. Like, yeah, like I'm, I'm, doesn't play the penalty kill, so like he needs to yeah. contribute way vastly more in the offensive area to make it make sense for him. Okay, fair enough. Um, let's get into the, the, the trade itself and, um, the, what we gave up, um, okay. Holden coming in here saying it's definitely an overpayment, but I think PLD would do really well here. Uh, when he's on his game, he's really good, but it, he has stretches where his play falls off. So he thinks it's a little bit of an overpayment, but it's solely dependent on, uh, on PLD there. So, uh, and GF comes in, Hey, let PLD play a year in a Kings jersey, and we can revisit this trade. Obviously, all that is hindsight. Yep. If he plays up to his money, fantastic. 
right? Yeah. I couldn't be more happy with Fiala. And, you know, and so um, I think that's something that needs to be looked at. Let's start with the main piece. The piece that got this done was Gabriel Villardi. I think there's an over, I think there's an overwhelming sense of um, in the Kings community that he wanted out of LA. He was never going to sign here. And to that, I say that's poppycock because there was no report that came out that I saw that Velarde openly demanded a trade. There's no report that I saw that he wanted 6.87 million or anything like that. There's no report that I saw that he wouldn't play for L.A. or he was never going to sign here or he was disgruntled with his role or any of those things. Now, those talks could have been from behind closed doors, but how any fan knows that on Twitter, especially if no major outlet reported it, good luck there on that, on that, on that tinfoil hat theory. My thing is, is I think – Velarde was probably in that four. He wanted that four to six range. Kings needed him to sign a lot less, or they realized that they can't sign PLD and give Velarde what he wants in the same season. So Velarde, based on that, they chose Pierre Luc Dubois over Gabriel Velarde, and he was the de facto trade piece because the money doesn't make sense with both of them. Where do you stand on? why he was the main piece in in this trade well i for a couple reasons one you have to give to get uh two the kings have been pretty adamant byfield and clark ain't going anywhere so they're off the table and i think you're spot on there's no way they could pay they could make a trade first of all i don't know how they make a trade for dubois that doesn't include clark or excuse me, Clark, Byfield, or Velarde. I guess maybe Kaliev would have been a centerpiece if the money could work. I don't think it would have been a centerpiece. He would have been a centerpiece personally. Um, so, A, you got to give to get. B, he's due a contract. And, they, yeah, they couldn't fit them both in there. I have no clue about where the, the Velarde L.A. thing was. I know Dennis Bernstein, I think it was, reported the two sides had not even talked yet about a contract. I'm of the opinion, I speculated, I don't recall if it was on the pod or maybe it was after the pod that we were chatting last week, Brandon, that I can see that being contentious. And I know he's an RFA, so he's only got so much leverage, or you know, if any at all, but I can see the two sides not being very close because um, I think that he, depending on he, A, given the season he just had, but also B, with his injury history, he may have wanted a little bit more security. So I just don't know what those conversations were like, though. But I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if the two sides were far apart. Yeah, I, I think you look at security is interesting one, um, and you know, with his injury history, like I, I think he's after his back. After he's come came back from his back, I don't think he's been injury prone. I think he had what he missed missed nineteen he missed. games last year with an upper body injury. That I don't think we were ever told what that was. That could have been a back. I'm speculating, and if I'm yeah, wrong, Pierre Luc Dubois only played seventy three games. They played what seven less games. Like it wasn't like it was. But my, but my point is, if, if it was a, if it was his back, again. That is concerning. Now, again, I don't know that. I, I want to be very clear. Which I is which know. is fair because the Kings would know that, and we don't. 
Right. And I don't know if that was ever announced and they made clear what his injury was. I believe they called it an upper body injury, but I don't think it ever came out as to what it was. So it's, I mean, I don't think it's a crazy leap to say it was a back injury, just given his history. Um, but I, I want to be clear that I don't know that. But so my thought is, or my take, I should say on that is, I'm not going to write it off if he missed 19 games for it just last season. Yeah. Is all. If, yeah. if again, I don't yeah. know. And, I, and, I, the King, and the Kings know that. And if, and if they do know that, and then they knew that it's an injury, maybe not the same injury, but maybe a, a similar a injury in the same region or something along that line, it gives them pause. I can understand yeah. that. Yeah. And then at that point, you're like, okay, well, you're getting a better player. He might not be an elite player. He's getting paid like one right now, but he's um, a better player. He shores up the the center depth. I want to get into that real quick before we go on to the next piece. Yeah, do you have yeah. A, no, do you great, think they I, make? Do you think they make this trade if Quentin Byfield was farther along in his development? I say no. If he's playing like Matty Beneers, if he had a season like Matty Beneers mm-hmm. did this year, they don't. They're not trading for Pierre Luc Dubois. Maybe, maybe Beneers had six fifty-seven points. Yeah, maybe not. But I want to say one thing though. And a related, I think it's a fair question. Uh, and I want to say too on Byfield, I don't think this means Byfield is he's no longer a center. Like he isn't so, and I had said at the end of the season, like Byfield, go take that three C spot, right? It's there for the taking, go get it, go take the reins on that and become that player. The thing is, the Kings want to win now. So, and you've said it. A million times in the past, Brandon. This is not a developmental league. Kings don't have time to wait for that three C to develop from Kapari or Byfield or Velarde because Velarde has not been a good center in the NHL. He's exceeded as or excelled as a winger. Didn't work as a centerman. The Kings, if they're talking about winning now, they don't have time to wait for this stuff, right? They they need guys they're going to go right now. So I still think Byfield can be a center. I still think Byfield is seen as a center uh, long term. So in the short term, there's no harm in him playing the wing and, and letting this seek out. But I want to mention one thing about the center because all this conversation about points and, and second line center and top six center and this and this and this. Philippe Deneau has had two back-to-back years that were what basically career years of 51 and 54 points. Why are we okay with that production at 2C and yet we're going to be not okay with 63 to 70 points, 63, 65 points from Pierre-Luc Dubois at 2C. So the, what I love about this deal is, in general, you've got Kopitar 1C, Dubois 2C, <laughs> Deneau 3C. Lazat is Deneau the best C. third center in the game now? I mean, how is he not? And then you have Lazat, who we all know is the best 4C already in the game. So that depth down the middle is like – that's fantastic. Well, I don't think, and, and and I I don't think that I believed, nor did I want Dano to be a two C, right? When he got signed, I was going to say traded. When he got signed, I was like, okay, he's a bridge gap to Byfield being two C, right? He's the bridge gap for the future. So he played there; he was adequate. I didn't think that that's where we needed to be to win games or to win a cup. But I thought that that's what he was for this team, right? Because Gable already showed that he couldn't play the position on a consistent basis. Right. 
which is my point, which is my point originally for the question. Like if Byfield shows that he can like you, you brought it up or no, uh, Russell brought it up on the last pod. If Byfield had the rookie season last season of Pierre-Luc Dubois rookie season of what I think 48 points. I'll have it right here. I haven't pulled up. Uh, let's see. Yeah. His 19, his 19 year old season, he scored 48 points, 20 goals, 28 assists. If Pierre, if Quentin Byfield had that last season at 19, do you think any Kings fans at Kings fans would be jumping for joy? Yep. Right. So, and they probably would be like, okay, he's the future. Put him at two C. We'll be good. Yeah. So that's where I really think that the production from Quentin Byfield made this trade because the reason they went fair, out and got fair Philippe to know, and Rob Blake even said it, Hey, we didn't feel like we were strong enough down the middle. We didn't have any confidence in anybody to play two C. We went out and got one. Hmm. This feels exactly the same to me, it's, right? Because there's no guarantee that Byfield has shown any glimpse of being a center in the National Hockey League. Not yet. Period. Correct. Period. Correct. So if Kopitar, father time is undefeated, if Kopitar starts to take that slide mm-hmm. and the Kings still want to compete, they need somebody to take up that slack. And this is that's my favorite part of this trade for me is because I've been saying this for two years now. I don't think the Kings are ready to compete down the middle once Kopitar needs to take a step back. Great. And now... Now they have a, a, a much bigger cushion mm-hmm. because Dano is definitely not a one C. Right. So, and Byfield isn't, Velarde isn't, Kupari, he's a center, isn't, Turcotte can't even get on the ice. So, as, as you have said, when do number one Cs become available in the National Hockey League? Maybe Austin Matthews? I've, I have a feeling that unless he wants out 100%, I mean, and then we're going to be on a bidding war with. 20 other clubs for that player. Not right? anymore. So, <laughs> Probably not right? anymore. Right? So, no, if, if we don't sign purely to Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you look at it, you look at Fiala need, was a cap casualty. Rob Blake went out and got him. Mm-hmm. Purely to Bois said, hey, I'm not signing a Winpeg. If you want to get something for me, get something for me. And he, cho- he said, hey, I want to go to L.A. So, now you have a player who you think is a fringe one, two. I think mm-hmm. he's more of a middle two. Regardless, like you said, now you're getting a guy whose floor is 10 points higher than Deneau. He's more offensively gifted than Deneau. Deneau doesn't have to spend time on the power play, which gives him more energy for the penalty kill, which he's better suited for. So I, I think the this is the favorite part of the trade for me. I'm not 100% sold on the player, sure. Sure. but I will 100% admit that the depth down the center – is what wins cups, and we are 100% better in the center of the ice. Boy, would I love to know what the offers were if there were any for Jack Eichel because that was my that's what I wanted for Jack Eichel was like, listen, you've got your stopgap right there. When Kopitar is yeah. done, you don't even need Byfield to be a 1C because you got Eichel. Byfield can be a 2C and doesn't have to put any pressure on him, and he can, yeah. you know. So anyways, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I look at this. And Byfield can take his time because in two years, Kopitar is going to be 38. You know, like at some point, father time is undefeated. So they're going to need another top. And, and in a couple of years, like the ain't going to be around forever either. He's going to be in his 30s too. So they are going to need another center. Very three, three years from now, he's going to be 23. So he'll still be ready to. Very uh, young. So, so I yeah. still think. 
the future for Byfield as a center is not like that's that's not buried. You know, we're we're going back to the trade. Velarde, and I don't know what Winnipeg's going to decide to do with him, but he didn't play well as a center in Los Angeles. The second he was moved to the wing in Ontario, Randon, we saw it firsthand. I mean, he was he was yeah. a totally different Nine player, and, and he was great in Los Angeles as a winger. I, full marks. Like I love. I want to be clear. Like I am a fan of Pierre Luc Dubois. I do think he's the better player right now than Gabe Velarde. I acknowledge, but I think anybody that's listened to this show knows how big of a fan of Gabe Velarde I am, and that I think he's a very talented player with a high ceiling. There's risk because he's been oft injured, uh, and that included just last season. But there's talent in that player. There's no doubt about it. I think for me also, uh, you know, there's obviously emotional part to sports. I'm a huge Velarde fan. Yep. And and him gutting through that injury, you know, like that just takes real cojones. Um, really love the season he had. You saw it on his face, every goal. Yep. Bringing the leg up, fist pumping. You know, like you just felt for him. Like he he, he feels he's back. Like th- he feels like this is what I was intended to be in the National Hockey League, and um, you know I, I felt great for him. And then now it's like, it's like that player's after we finally see a glimpse, he's gone. And yep. that's you know that's part of the NHL. Like play, players that you love get traded all the time. And um, I, I think it's just that's the little emotional part for me. I would have loved to see Velarde succeed in LA, but you look at it. I forget where I saw it. He goes, if you can't draft a center, you better trade for one. It was in the athletic article that I read, right? They didn't really draft a center in Velarde. They didn't really draft a center in Turcotte. They really didn't draft a center in um, Kupari. They really didn't draft a center in Kempe. They didn't really, you know, and they, and Byfield is still not a two seed. So if you can't draft one, you better go out and get one. Right. And so I think they're just hedging their bets. Do you think, I know you were a Stutzla guy. Yeah. To me, that to me that draft pick for Byfield makes zero sense now. Like with the with, and, and hear me out. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. Maybe Rob Blake had a different view of how the rebuild will go, and then he made the moves he made and went in a different direction and adapted. Totally valid. But if he was trying to win a cup with Kopitar and Dowdy, Byfield needed longer to develop. He said that. Everybody said that. Then then Stutzla seems like the guy. Like, could you imagine this roster with another? Well, they probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have been able to fit Pierre-Luc Dubois because Stutzla's mm-hmm. making $8 million. But in theory, like, could you imagine this roster with Pierre-Luc Dubois and, and Stutzla and, and, and all this there? Like, it would be ridiculous, the offense. Yeah, like like we've talked about, I think I mentioned on, on at numerous occasions, the Kings have kind of tried to thread a needle here where they are sort of rebuilding – um, but they didn't totally blow it up. Um, yet they kind of want to win. Like now they're getting into like winning. So in order to do that, you need to really hit on young guys that are cheap. And unfortunately, what really set that back was, you know, um, they haven't hit on any first round. They haven't. They just haven't. I mean, right. I mean, Turcotte didn't hit. Um, you look at Byfield's Cal- not, not hit so far. Byfield, Bjornford slow is not start. So Bjornford didn't hit. Kaliev has been kind of a slow go right now. So they've what I credit Blake for is he has pivoted like no other. Yeah, Velarde's another one. He didn't hit. Velarde was an afterthought before this yeah. heading into this past season. 
Let's be honest. We we all on this on this entire podcast, we thought he was going to be a fourth line or fringe bench player. So he, good on him, but like yeah. for a while he didn't hit. So they had a lot of misses. So I think when you do that and you're like, well, shoot, we got to pivot. And they did a hell of a freaking job in doing so. Um, so I don't know the rest of the trade. I'll, I'll do Kapari. Listen, the Kings have a stable of Kaparis. I like the kid. I don't mean that in a negative way. I like the kid, but he obviously is not ready right now to be anywhere near an impactful third line player for this team. He showed some spurts last season. Again, the Kings are not in the time frame right now to wait for Kapari. No problem. His spot can be backfilled relatively easily. I don't think that if you were to play Anderson Dolan, I don't think if you were to play Grunstrom, I don't think if you were to play Fagimo, especially Fagimo, alongside on that right side next to Lazat on the fourth line, if you had a fourth line that had Fagimo and Lazat, I guarantee you Fagimo is going to be more productive than Kapari was last season. So I, I genuinely think that's something that is a very, very – again, I mean this. I don't mean to harp on the guy. It's just he's a replaceable asset in my opinion, relatively Fair. easy because of the depth in the, in the organization. Mike, come in here before I get comment on that. To be honest, we've sucked at drafting this last decade, and then he comes in at least first-rounders. So there was an article that came out on uh, The Athletic. It was like two years ago. The Kings were actually top three in the league in drafting and getting games out of their draft picks or, you know, total games played, all this kind of stuff. But all those players came in the second round or later. You are right. In the first rounders, we have drafted zero elite players in the first round. I guess Kempe now finally turned out to be an elite mm -hmm. player and, and, and obviously Kopitar. But in the last decade, Kempe is really the only one that I can think of unless, unless I'm missing somebody in the first round that has turned out and it took seven years. Like it took a long time and right. you know, and that doesn't always happen. Like Kempe is, I think Kempe is the outlier. Like there's very few players. Like usually if you're not good by 22, you're not going to become elite out of nowhere. Like the Tay Thompson's and the Kempe's aren't going to, aren't usual archetypes for, for people and they can happen. And sometimes it just takes more. I mean, Kempe said it himself. He's like, I just had to figure out that I just needed to shoot the freaking puck. Like I need mm -hmm. to stop taking, like waiting for other people to come out and do that and shoot the puck. So I think, I think you're looking at it from a standpoint of, yeah, like we haven't got the Kale McCarr. We didn't draft the Nathan McKinnon and those types of players with our top picks. Maybe Clark will be one. And Clark is my, obviously my choice there. Clark is a massive if he works out because he has a pinnacle to be a Norris trophy winner in my opinion, like now that the Norris trophy is pretty much an offensive award for the defenseman, it's, he has a chance to be one of the best offensive defensemen in the league period. And, and I, and I don't think that's even a stretch to say, <clears throat> I, I'm looking at it from this way. You're right. I like Kempe or I like a uh, Kupari. I liked his game. He just wasn't consistent enough for me. You saw moments of what you drafted him to be. Hey, he like go, he'll go down the line, power to the move and then he'll pass it to somebody. There's so many times where he'd make the move and then defer. And like, you're never really going to move up the depth chart if you're not. Now, he did add some stuff to his game, but that's bottom six stuff. You can find that player anywhere. Like you said, we have a stable. We have Pinelli, 50 goals in the OHL. We have Chromiak. We have all yada, yada, yada. I really like Fagimo. I mm -hmm. think that 
he might have a chance to overtake Callie. It's an opportunity for player. Yeah, yeah, it's an opportunity for Figimo at this at this at this moment. Yeah, and we need to, and and let's let's not get this twisted here. I was a I was a fan. I wanted them to play their young stars, and that's the rebuild. Maybe more of the Anaheim direction and see what you got and grow this thing from the studs. Didn't happen. They wanted to go and fight, and they're trying to thread the needle, as you say. But if they're using assets to get these players that they got during the rebuild by trading away other said players, isn't that the rebuild working? Like you're using it, the assets that you have acquired to spend on different assets. Brandon, we have been talking since the inception of this show and our making a range show. The Kings have too many guys. Yeah. They got all these prospects. They got all these young players. They got no spots. Figimo's still in the AHL. Turcotte, obviously, was hurt, still in the AHL. Like, Callie, you spent time in the AHL. Why is Bife in the AHL? All these rosters, all these. Uh, they had a lot of quantity and not, and they were waiting to see which of these guys are going to pop, right? And they traded from that quantity to go get an impactful top six center. That is the point, Brandon. Yes, you are spot on. This is exactly what we've been talking about for two years now. That listen, you've got all these guys. You got to make a move here to go make that turn some of these assets into an impactful player, and that is exactly what they did. So I, I they did it with Fiala. They traded from a, a spot of depth in Brock Faber to go get Fiala, and they, again here, Kupari again, nice player. They have plenty of them. Velarde, there's a listen, the ceiling's high on Velarde, and I don't want to downplay. I don't want to talk like I didn't like him because I love Velarde. Dubois is a better player at a premier position. And I think that there's enough risk there with Velarde to where this makes sense. We have not talked about Ayafalo yet. Well, before we let's do the Velarde thing. I want to add this. I've said this before. The other side of the trade does not matter. The Kings have Pierre-Luc Dubois now. So ultimately, what Velarde becomes, what Kupari becomes, who the second-round pick is, has no consequence. right? You don't know if the Kings were going to draft the same guy in that draft. Mm -hmm. You don't even know if they were going to keep that pick and use it for something else. Mm -hmm. So let's move that away. If Velarde becomes a point-per-game player on the wing, and so does Pierre-Luc Dubois, then who gives an F? Right? Like Ultimately, you got what you wanted. You got a center who's a point-per-game player, who's driving play, and he's a first-line center. Why he's does it done matter? It. He's done it multiple years where Velarde just – he's had one year, Velarde. No, but I'm saying in the future. I'm holding out yep. crystal ball. Two yep. years down the line – we'll say three years down the line, both Velarde and Pulek Dubois are point-per-game players. Then who cares? <clears throat> who cares? You got what you wanted. You're getting a guy that's a point-per-game player guy who's driving play. He's the first-line center. Kings are winning. Nobody's going to care. Right? Are you are you are you keeping track of Brock Favor stats? I'm not, and I was the biggest Brock Favor fan. No, be, why? Because Fiala is kicking some ass, and he worked up. I don't even know who the first round pick is that they took for for Me neither. Right? So it doesn't it doesn't mean any consequence. Like the people aren't going to care if Pierre Dubois pans out. They are afraid because it's not an obvious pan out situation mm-hmm. for most people. You're probably the most bullish person. I mean, you and Russ are both bullish, but I'm skeptical. I had a chat with my brothers. Like, all, all I've seen all today is my brother Logan with throw emojis because he's like so nervous about trading all these assets away 
Because if you look at it, like what Ayafalo and Velarde brought last season, and we'll bring Ayafalo now, compared to what PLD brought in last season, Ayafalo and Velarde were better as a combo, right? So, but is that is that relatively fair to say? I think it is, but you can't. Like, I don't think I, you can I, look. I sort of, uh, you want, I, tell me why I can't look at it that way. I don't know if you can look at it in a vacuum like that because it, remember, it's not just a, um, you know, you look at it from from um, Velarde and and Ayafalo and what they did together. But then you got to look at it from Dubois and who plays with him, right? To see what do those two do together? Because now you do have to find like what is that what does that lineup look like, and who you know Ayafalo was always somebody that that was rumored to go because of his money and his role he plays. They've got a lot of similar, they've got a few follows. You could sort of say, I know they all do it in different ways, but like Arvidsson's that middle six winger role. Trevor Moore's that middle six winger role. I don't think, I don't think there's, I, I'll, I will contradict you there. I don't think there's anybody on our roster that can do what Ayafalo does. He can play he's all, a very good def- all defensive top lines and he's the best defensive forward we got maybe outside he, of Kopitar. He, he's a very good defensive winger. I, I, I acknowledge that. Um, which you know they're they're going to miss that, but I guess my my argument to that is is strengthening the middle is going to strengthen the rest of the line. Like I think you've got three guys now down the middle, four including Lozat that can carry a line. So I think that is going to help some things. And again, they've got they've got some depth um, to to be able to make that work. Like I think there's a spot now. The way I look at it on the second line, um, there's a spot for. Maybe it's Kaliev. Maybe it's Fagimo. Maybe they decide to split up the Deneau line and it's Arvidsson or Trevor Moore. Um, and then you look at that, you've basically moved your entire third line down to the – your second line down to the third line. It's like, okay, that's pretty good. You know, Deneau, Moore, and Arvidsson right now penciled in is, is kind of your third line. Like, I don't know, Ayafalo was a third-line guy for most of the season last year, so when I peel it back, he had the ability to spot in, right, and play in the top six, top line, whatever, but he's not a consistent top line or top six player. So it's like Ayafalo is a – he can kind of jump around the lineup a little bit, and they think Trevor Moore can do much the same and jump around the lineup a little bit, maybe does it in a different way. But I I think it's just there's – I don't think it's a, a player that you can't replace. I mean, I follow again. I know he's a kind of that glue guy and a valuable guy, but I don't see how he isn't somebody that can be replaced. What I will say is, uh, I, I the, the thing is, is the Kings still need some salary to move out. So does Arvidsson still go? Because I know we talked last show or two shows ago, Randon, about is it AI or is it Arvidsson? Well, maybe it's both because they still have some more to do. So I'm very, this is, the other thing I want to remind everybody, it is June. Okay, so the offseason isn't done yet. There's there's plenty more to, to happen. The Kings aren't going to go into the season with one goalie. I, I trust that they're going to get that figured out. So it's like there, there's more to happen here. I'm sure because there has to be because they probably need a little bit more money. Now, where does that come from? Does it come from a Carl Grundstrom? Does that open up enough money um, if he goes out and that buys them a if little they, bit? If they lose Victor Arvidsson, I firmly t- believe this team is worse than last year. I want to see. Well, the, I want to see. I want to see what what it looks even if like. they bring in a goalie. Like it, 
<clears throat> I mean, the amount of scoring you're losing with Velarde and Arvidsson does not get replaced by PLD. The defense is worse. I think we're vastly worse as a team at that point. I don't think the defense is worse. I mean, I think yeah, the, Velarde was a top defensive player. He was like top five in the league. I follow. Is, well, I thought you meant like the defense, like the, the decor. No, but as a forward gotcha. group, gotcha. we're vastly worse on the defensive side of the puck. And like, I, I just don't think this team's even close to the same team, even with PLD in there. Well, let's do uh, yeah, I want to wait and see. That's why, like, right now, I think today the Kings are a better team. Now, to your point, if they end up moving out Arvidsson, there's more to come. Like, what does that mean? Who's coming in? So I, I want to wait to see what the rest is going to fill out with. Like, this is, again, we talk about opportunity. Arthur Kaliev, another chance. Samuel Vigimo, another chance. Um, so I, I would hope that they can find a way to fill out the roster without moving Arvidsson. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's um, again, maybe it's Grunstrom. I know he's not that expensive, but maybe it's just enough to do what he's got to do because you're going to bring in guys like Clark, Spence, Bjornfoot, are all what, like league minimum type players. That's what you need, by the way, at the bottom of your roster. You need those guys. Anderson Dolan's going to be cheap. So you, which is, those are the types of guys that you need to fill out the bottom of your roster. Um, Kelly is still cheap. Figimo's cheap. So there's, there's ways to, to do it. And I know last year when Arvidsson went down to start the season, we were all waiting for, well, Figimo can just do what Arvidsson does. Well, now we're going to find out, you know, we I mean, he up. did, he did play well. I thought he played extremely well. Figimo we did were, play. And we were puzzled. Like why he scored a goal and then he got pulled, which made no his, sense. When you, when you look at his, his points, points per 60 and all that stuff. I mean, he like, what did he play? Two games, he only played one game, couple games, but he was, yeah, he was there for you. Yeah. yeah, he was productive in those. So, so I, I want to like pump the, like, I got to, in my wrap up of like the trade itself and the pieces that they dealt. To me, it was a quantity versus quality trade. Do I think that they paid more than they had to? Well, obviously not. I mean, there, there was a reason why they paid the price they paid. Um, but I, I do think it was more than we expected. It was more than I expected. I was thinking Velarde, a cap dump, and maybe a prospect. I didn't know if it would be another roster play. But then again, what's the difference? What if the difference if it was Fagimo or Kapari? What's the difference? Yeah. Like again, I, I'm not losing sleep over that. The the second round pick seemed like a bit of a sweetener. <laughs> like I, that seemed like a little heavy. But I don't know. I, I, again, I think when you when you peel it back. I think they can if if you're if you're they can replace Kupari and I think PLD is better than Velarde. And if you can't replace an Alex Ayafalo, then your team ain't that good anyway. And that's no disrespect. He's a fine player, but like you, you can find your way around that. But I just want to see what the rest of the offseason brings because it's still hey, still only June. It is, it, it is. I I agree and disagree with you in some aspects. I think I disagree with you that I think the combination of Ayafalo and Velarde are better for the team than PLD as in a vacuum. I can see what you're saying though, where it's easier. um, It's easier to bring in wingers and find production out of the wing than it is to have a number two center. So from that standpoint, you could still get the unknown production from Fagimo. You can still get the unknown production of, um, from other wingers coming in. Can Kaliev take that jump? Angel, you're just harping on this, man. He's he's a New York Yankees fan, and I let him have his fandom. Jesus, crime any. 
You need to get like a powder blue Yankees hat because like, you'll go half and half there. Yeah, I don't hate the Dodgers. I got nothing against the Dodgers, but I just don't have a Dodgers hat. <laughs> Angel, you send me one. I'll wear one. Uh, there you go. You heard it here. Uh, you know, and so I, I think that you're looking at those types of moves. And obviously, the biggest move that needs to come in this offseason is the second goalie, right? And, um, you know, and the biggest adage, the biggest adage here, or not the adage, but the biggest saying here, I think you see a lot of times when the trades come in is get the best player and the rest of the stuff will figure it out, right? And the best player in this trade is Pierre Luc Dubois. So ultimately, where I kind of stand on it, I was, and through all the speculation, I was F no. And then when the cost kept going up, I was even more F no. <laughs> and then it's like my emotions were like, I love Gable or Velarde. And like, really, after thinking about it a long time, where it makes sense to me is like I said before, is the center deck. You actually have a, a legit. In your opinion, I, I think he's still middle ground, second C, whatever. But he still is an actual second-line center with upside, where we don't actually have a second-line center. Deneau is can play second-line, but realistically, on a cup-winning team, he's not a second-line center. So for me, that's the only standpoint that I really like this trade, is I think it really helps bridge the what-if if Kopitar falls off, the what-ifs of these things, because – if you have to know and Kopitar falls off to a 50, 60 point guy, this team ain't making the playoffs. So Velarde ain't going to help that either. So I, I think that's where this trade is like, okay, I understand. We overpaid in both prospects and in money, in my opinion. Did they overpay in prospects? I do. I do think so. Yeah. I don't think like he was on his way out and he said he wanted to go to LA. Like, now, Winnipeg could say, hey, I really don't care where you want to go. I'm going to trade you to Montreal. They offered us a better package, right? But then Pierre-Luc Dubois still has the authority to be like, hey, well, then I'm not signing to Montreal. Right. Right. So I, I, I there, was no, there was no leverage for Winnipeg. Like there was no, ne there was no need for the second sweetener. There was no need for, for that. Like I would have been – like they could have got this deal done, in my opinion. Maybe they moved out more cap because of Kapari, right? He's a little bit more expensive than maybe a, a rookie, right? But like they could have got it done with Velarde and and I follow. And then for me, I've been like, okay, that makes sense. Like we're moving, you have some give to get, you're moving money out. Like the sweetener just seemed like an overpay. Like it really made no sense. And when that second came from Jersey, you're looking at Jersey was our second best offensive defenseman last year. Like, like. Would that would that trade still make for you if his name is on that instead of the second round pick? Does that trade still make sense for you at that point? It, it definitely, yeah. I mean, it, for sure, it seems like a lot. I think though, when you're looking at it, like uh, I think there always had to be three pieces. I don't think it was just going to be Velarde and Iafalo. That third piece was either going to be that second round pick or maybe a prospect. I didn't think it would be both. I, I I'm with you there. Like I did not think it was going to need both. But again, when I look at it, it's like. It's replaceable. So I, I, I don't know. I'm not. Does it doesn't? Because I know you said they're they're all starting players, quote unquote. They were last year, but Jersey was getting pushed out, and Kapari was a fourth line player. Would be a fourth line player. So like, 
even if there's even if it was Jersey, right? You take the sack and you make it Jersey. It's yeah. like okay, you're still so you're trading your seventh defenseman and a fourth line player to go along with your cap in Iafalo and then the main piece in in Velarde. Like and that's the rosy way of looking at this. Fully acknowledged, no. but like, is that not what it is? I mean, I mean, you're getting down to brass tacks there. I understand where you're coming from. I'm just saying, like. You're looking at it. I'm looking at it from the point of, yeah, they gave from a point of strength, but maybe, I, mean, maybe, I guess it, maybe, I guess maybe it does make sense for the Kings, right? Because you're giving from a point of strength. Like if it was any other team, then are they really giving up Jersey, right? Like not every team has Jordan Spence and Brant Clark waiting in the wings, right? So I can get what you're saying, and like I said, maybe, I said maybe, maybe, I, maybe. I fully admitted in the beginning of this podcast that you talking would probably change my mind on this thing a little bit, and I'm warming up. But I said this to my brothers earlier today: if Pierre Luc Dubois proves me wrong, and I said it all day yesterday on Twitter when fans attacking me, if he proves me wrong, I'm not gonna care what we gave up. I'm Shit, not. I've been eating crow on Gavrikov for about three months now. He, yeah. you know, so it happens. <laughs> you know, and, you I, and, opinion, I'm not, and, and, and I'm not going to care. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 I'm not going to care. I might even buy a eight and eighty jersey. Who knows? <laughs> but it, it for me, it's it's really like my gut when it first came out wasn't hell yeah. It was I'm nervous, and that's and, and that's where I'm like, and that's where I'm like, okay, like. Where does this make sense to me? I have to find because pretty much I was willing to give up almost anything for Chicken besides Byfield and Clark. So like I like Velarde, like this exact trade for Chicken, I probably thought it was a little bit too much. But but like that's I was like I was all in because I was a knee. We needed a lefty like that. Let's go. It's Chicken. Let's do this. Right. But so I get it to the fact that like it just makes me feel a little bit. Icky for a, a for a bad word uh, adjective, but so, like I think like I need to find where the bright side is, and I have found that so far with the, which is the center depth and the bridge in the upcoming year, so the Kings aren't garbage. Like if Kobitar falls off, and they have a legit second center, but it it's there's a lot of unknowns here that we can't answer at this time of the trade. Will yeah. Pierre Luc Dubois take that next level? Is there a prospect for for the love of God? Is there a prospect to take a step and insert himself into a roster right away? Like, like I need somebody to step up, and I truly think that can be Fagimo. But, yep. But I mean, you even have a Turcotte has a chance to make the roster if he can even stay healthy, right? Like, he is he is he that player that can fill in for and I follow. He's pretty good defensively. He's that energy type player. He can play and kind of plug in. Like, is he that type of guy that is is um, is going to be able to kind of fill that? Possibly, right? He mm-hmm. could possibly do that type of player. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think you're looking at a a uh, a player who I didn't believe was a home run. Right, like if this was say this was Thomas Hurdle, obviously they gave up way more for Thomas Hurdle. Not not a not a not a doubt in my mind. Hey, we're getting a great player, right? Like this is just there's a lot of unknowns with the player. There's a lot a lot of. I felt like we gave too much up because there is a lot of unknowns. But if he proves me wrong, I I'm not going to care. 
I'm I think the other there's a couple other unknowns too that that aren't we don't know what other offers there were. We genuinely don't know. And we don't even know if it was just Montreal. I think Colorado's reporter would kick the tires before they went to Johansson. We don't know if there's another team that was involved. And I think Winnipeg, the other thing to think about too, is a lot of times you deal a player like this, of this caliber, a, a, a top six centerman, sometimes it's a first round pick that's going. And they weren't getting a first round pick out of this deal. So maybe part of them for Winnipeg to be okay with doing this, like, listen, we're not getting a first, then we want a second and a young player. So maybe that's where Kapari in the second yeah. came in. The, and I think Winnipeg wants to be competitive. Like, I know there's a lot of talk about a lot of players in Winnipeg. Dubois is gone. Hellebuck could be gone. Wheeler, Shifley. But I don't think, as crazy as this sounds, like, they, they don't They don't like, want to rebuild. They want to retool. Yeah, so that's why they get Velarde. They get Ayafalo. They get NHL-caliber players. I think that was the other part of it, too. So there's there's always a lot of stuff that we just have no idea about. There was an article that I read in Montreal. They said that the offers that Montreal were giving were for prospects that weren't NHL ready. And Winnipeg was like, was asking for guys that could play. Exactly. Now, whether that's true or not, that's their insider. That's what I heard out of Montreal. I think that's pretty true because Montreal, they're in a build mode right now. They don't have a whole lot to give. I don't think Winnipeg's all that interested in Trevor Hoffman or actually Trevor Hoffman, Mike Hoffman or Josh Anderson. So in terms of NHL players and really Montreal is not a position where they should be making a trade to deal future assets the way they're building. So I didn't really think that made a whole lot of sense for a trade free agent. Sure. Go sign them. But I didn't think for a trade, it makes sense for Montreal, but yeah, I mean, Turcotte's a good shot. I mean, it opens up again. It, it when you're, they just dealt from they had us so many guys. We've been talking about it for so many years. They finally do the deal that we've expected of two, three, four, four guys for one. Like that's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I think your question of, but is that one worth it? I think it, it's, I get it. It's a reasonable question. I think when you see the the quantity of players and assets that were in this deal, it's kind of a sticker shock. I just think when you peel it back, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, a backbreaker. By any means, I think it's again. I think the Kings. Uh, maybe I'm in the minority here. I think the Kings are a better team right now. Now, again, off season still is is not over. We'll see what else gets done because there's a lot to do. The Kings have 16 roster players right now. They need you know. Although I believe Blake alluded to that they there may be times this season where they're short and they don't play with the full 23 roster. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll see how things kind of shake out here, but. You know, they have a lot of prospects that are right there kind of knocking on the NHL door, and I think that allows them to make a move like this. Yeah, I mean, they need to. They need to have players that are, you know, that are NHL-ready. Shake Master going in PLDs, train is warming up. Let's go, Randa. Hey, I can only be conductor of one train. I'll let I'll let Joe be the conductor of the PLD train. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, forever the conductor of the, uh, of the Clark train here. So... Um, Holden coming in, PLD is a very good big body net front presence with something we yes. needed. Um, um, Mike coming in here saying, does he play a North South game? Is he, where do you, where do you kind of rate his game there? Obviously you said he's a little bit of a shit to server. He's a, he has scoring touch. He plays in the group in the crease, yeah. but is, is, can he get up and go? Cause most likely he's going to pay play with Fiala. How do you see them to pairing in? Now, you so said you loved it last podcast, but why do you love it? I've been thinking about that. Like, what is that mix of player? Who's he play with? And off the top, my the first my first thought is is Fiala because I think that 
And then the other, th- the other side of this is who's that right winger? Who's that other winger? I almost think it could be a guy like a Trevor Moore or Victor Arvison to kind of be that puck hound and go get it. Um, so I think that, that they will be a good fit together because of the creativity that Fiala has, and he can kind of create so much on his own and that Dubois can do more of that, that dishing the puck to Fiala. He can do more of the bringing bodies to him because he's not afraid to go to that net front and be that kind of in, in the top of the crease area um, to draw attention to him. Like I can see it on a, on a, on a zone entry where the two, the, the, on a three on two Dubois is the one that's going right to the net, drawing those defensive to him, open up in that high slot for a Kevin Fiala or whoever that other winger is, whether it's, whether it's Kalia or Moore or Arvidsson or Fagimo, whoever it is. So the, to, I think he, he's a guy that, that is skilled enough to where he's played the half wall on the power play before. Um, he, he has plenty of skill in his game, but he is not afraid to roll up his sleeves and go to the top of the crease. He asked the question, is he fast? Like when I hear Pierre-Luc Dubois, I don't think, whoa, speedster, but he, he can move. He can get up and can down he, the Can ice. he skate with Fiala? As, yeah, you know. I, I don't think that'll be a problem. That's a lot of people were putting. I've seen on mocks on Twitter, Kaliev up on the second line. I just don't think Kaliev fits as a third pair on that. He he doesn't skate with them. They he may not. Uh, and my first thought was Kaliev, but I'm not like married to it. I'm 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 actually open to like a Trevor Moore, um, being kind of a, a buzz, uh, somebody that can buzz a little bit, somebody that can skate, puck hound type of guy that can win, you know, win battles in the corners, get in on a four check. I, I think maybe somebody like that could be better. I get I get the Kaliev because he's that shooter, right? And maybe you have that that Dubois that's kind of that bull in a china shop uh, type of player. Then you've got the skill, creative Fiala, and then you just your sniper in, in Kaliev. So maybe it works. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if um, – you know, if, if it didn't quite work, uh, I like I like the more idea because then you could have a similar player in Alex Turcott if obviously he's going to be healthy to start camp. We assume right. uh, play on the third line, and he kind of fills that Trevor Moore style mm-hmm. with probably a little bit more upside. He plays on that third line minute, so you're not subjecting him to 20 minutes right off the bat. I mean, T Mac's mm-hmm. not that type of coach, so I I don't envision that, and he trusts more on the second line. So then you're getting Turcott on the third line, which is uh, you probably probably fair. For him, if he comes into camp, um, to give him that opportunity, I, I think another, and it was unlimited. I mean, but he showed trust in Fagimo to play on the top line. Uh, yeah. He showed trust in Fagimo to play up, and he is that sniper. <clears throat> and Fagimo can skate uh, better than Kaliev. I think that would be an interesting uh, line there as well. Yeah, and Dubois is going to be an impactful guy in the power play. I know, you know, Velarde made his. You know, he made his hay, and we talked. We we were singing. Yeah, how does he how does he fit down there? Where does he? You see him as a one for one replacement for Velarde down below. He he can play down low, just fine. Yes, I think he can do an excellent job down low. There's been times where he's been in the bumper, though. I don't know that it was like. I think it's just because of the rotation. Maybe he got flushed there. He's been in the left circle before. This is a talented player. He he's versatile. He can play you know, in a lot of different spots, but he is definitely uh, one that you can have and work it down low for sure. We got uh, one here, Al Smith coming in, watching some Jets media and podcasters today. They were saying PLD was arguably their best player for the first half of the season. 
The Jets were a, if you recall, a really good team in the start of the season. Then they just, for whatever reason, come like January or something. I don't know what it was. They hit a wall. But, and again, I, I've continued to forget, and I'm butchering his name, the athletic, the Winnipeg writer. I apologize. But he was like, he was a surefire 1C that first half of the season. Like, he was incredible. Again, I just think that's there. I, I think that's in him. Um, I, you know, is it consistent? All that stuff. Those questions are fair and, and yet to be answered. But um, I, I do think that there's a legitimate player in there. Side note here, Nick Roman coming here is Kalia Forever, the fourth liner. I think people look well, – I've said this multiple times. I, he, people look at his dynamic as his shot and automatically assume he has offense. He should be on the first or second line. But he doesn't skate well with a lot of these – the tempo that – the Kings want to play with, right? He doesn't skate with the Kempes. He doesn't skate with the the Fialas. Like, where does he fit there? And I could I can see him legitimately being a third line player and a power, and then have him on the power play one because that's his best asset. But where where is that player that he's replacing? You can't replace Kempe on the one timer because that's what he's getting paid now to do. So he's being blocked on the power play. He, I don't think he's as good enough to play in the top six five on five and so like where is that development there i just think he's in a weird enigma for his career like a crossroads if you will uh right now you know i i i wonder if there could be a fit though because you're right with a guy like say um kempe who is very give me the puck i'm gonna go north south and i'm gonna snipe one on the run on the rush off the circle Fiala does a little bit more of that sauntering and kind of slaloming through the neutral zone. So it's not as much of a burner, if you will. So maybe with the way Fiala does it, that there could be a way for Kalia, if he's smart, to find himself in those quiet areas. And I do think he's smart to be just get yourself into a space where Fiala can get you the puck. Talking about the power play with, with Kalia. I'm telling you, Kaliev can play the bumper. He does. I know everybody talks about, well, you just got to do his one-timer, his one-timer. And he, listen, he played the right circle and he scored goals on the one-timer. I get it. But if they need to shift something around or they want to shift something around, he is capable of playing the bumper. He's smart enough to do it. And he doesn't need a lot of time for his release. His release is excellent. He can absolutely uh, play the bumper uh, and be effective there if need be. Yeah, I, I don't know if I agree with this on this a little bit, but uh, last year, Kaliev was on the wall in the power play, and he could not do anything with the puck. Uh, he could not move, lost the puck 80% of the time. I think I think he had a stretch of, like, like he had, I think he had, I think he's, what, third on the team in power play goals or fourth? For, and he, for a while, he led. For a while, he led. And he led the team, yeah. So you looked at the identity for both power plays. We talked about it in the midseason that were completely different, and if the identity of the power play for the second unit is to feed him the puck, he could definitely do that. But, mm-hmm. but he's not as uh, he's not as mobilely gifted as as Kempe. So, like if things do break down, he can't uh, recover as well, which makes me think that you're onto something with with him as a bumper because there's 
seems like sometimes there's less movement and he's good at finding the, he's good at finding the quiet area or that little mm -hmm. where yep. the open passes. So I think that might be something to, to think, but he's smart. I think he's for him smart. to be effective yep. next season, he's going to be, I think the sweet spot is a bottom six player, second power play, and he can be an effective player for this team. Like he doesn't need to play top six to be effective. Like I think he can be effective Agreed. in that role. Agreed. So, I think, uh, Think I'm warming up to this, man, man, and um, you know, and I, like I said, hey, Gavacroft trade, I just had to be proven wrong. It was proven wrong, so it's okay to be skeptical. It's not okay to, it's a, it's, you know, and not every trade works out. Um, but I think that you're, I think that you're convincing me here, and and maybe the prejudice of him being a lot of the things that I was worried about the defensibility. You don't have that much uh, worried about it. I mean, the numbers aren't there, so maybe, you know, maybe with the structure of LA, that'll be better. And then the face-off thing, I just think that like, if you're a number, if he's going to be a number one center and you can't take a face-off, then in, when the game's on the line and you need to win a puck to get the offensive possession, you can't depend on him for that. And somebody brought it to me on Twitter, like, so you with the game on the line, you're not going to have Jack Hughes on the ice. I ain't going to have him taking the face-off. I'm not going to have him taking the face-off at thirty percent when the game's mm -hmm. on the line. Mm -hmm. So like. You're paying him eight years. You're eventually paying him to take over. Do you have? I don't. I don't have that faith like I have in in Deneau or Kopitar to win a faceoff that I do in Pierre Claude Dubois. And like that's where it's like the money that you're paying him to be an elite player. I don't think he's that. I think this is a lot of hypothetical. And you're convinced. Like I think it's good for the team, but I think the hypothetical for him to be a one C is yet to be determined and that's where my pause is right now yeah that's that's fine i i i honestly like i just don't really put much into face-off percentage um i i i, I really like i i agree like obviously you prefer your your top centers to be to be really good at them edmonton um, flat out put a guy out there that was 60 plus percent and then took him off the ice to like mm -hmm. get pucks. Like that's not what I want to do. Like I want to be able to just let, Hey, just win this thing. Like even Carter was good on faceoffs. What he was like 54, 55%. Like the, the good news well, is that is five, seven, a buck 40 and he's over 50%. So like, where is the disconnect for me? There is what I'm saying. Like the guy's big, he's strong. Yeah. Yep. Maybe, maybe he just like, like Velarde did. Maybe he never put much stock into it. And now he's realizing he needs to, which, you know, he's still young and, and can learn. Like, it's, and it's realistically, if he was 52% or 53%, like you're talking about a small percentage of change, I guess that's pretty big from 48, which it was his best season was last year. Mm -hmm. He's average of 45 guy. Like, even if he was, maybe if, even if he was 51%, I wouldn't be as much like against it. I guess maybe the four is just giving me a pause. I don't know. But I, I just think, like, on, when the game's on the line, you want your number one center to take the face off, and I don't feel confident with a guy. Well, see, see, I don't look at it that way. Um, to be honest with you, I, when the game's on the line and I got a D zone face off, I want the guy that's going to win the face off. I don't give a shit what line he's on. I just want him to win the draw. Like, Jack Eichel's a 45% face off guy. So, you know, maybe, maybe he's a bum. Maybe he's just not taking the draw. Like, I, I, you know, that's okay. Like, you know, Tage Thompson, 43% face-off guy. Um, 
Elijah Patterson, 44% face-off guy last year. So I just, I don't really care because the thing is this, like right now, okay, so it's Janelle or Kopitar that takes the draw. Okay. Like that's not a big deal to me. Um, yeah, I, well, listen, I want him to get better. I, I hope I hope he improves face-offs. I, I, you know, obviously that's, yes, on board. But not, I, I'll be honest, I didn't give that one second of thought when that trade happened or even when there was rumors like, well, what's his face off percentage? I genuinely don't really care for a couple of reasons. One, like I just said, like he's for right now, he's got two really, really good face off takers in Kopitar and Deneau. So it's, you know, it's not, not totally necessary right now. I hate you and you're logical. <laughs> I want to win. I want to win. Damn it. <laughs> um man well yeah i guess i'm still a wait and see i, I mean like i said yeah if, if if i i still think there's an opportunity where maybe he's the player that he is and he's not a point per game guy or he doesn't get better and he's 60 points and this is an overpay there's that percentage but i i like to be proven wrong i'd like to be proven wrong and and if ultimately he earns it he earns it I'll be glad to eat crow. I have no problem saying when I'm wrong. I'm, you know, it is what it is. You know, it's part of it. It's part of the game. I'm not, that's why I don't get paid the big bucks. And even GMs are wrong, right? Yeah. I, I, I want to, 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 I guess maybe to put a bow on it just for, yeah. for, for reference, just, just for like, what was, again, I, 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 we reference these guys a lot. The athletic domishes and does a really good job. He and Shana uh, Goldman, I think are the ones that really put these player cards together. So Pierre-Luc Dubois season last year, okay, which you've referenced his points, 63 points, 73 games. He actually grades out as a positive on the defensive side, not like elite, but certainly not bad. He, he is a net positive on the defensive side. So they look, they try to, what they do is they try to look at market value um, of the trade or not of the trade, excuse me, of the player for that particular year. Pierre-Luc Dubois' market value last season was $8.9 million. That doesn't mean he's going to play at $8.9 million next year, but just for reference, the way he played last year with his production, they're obviously factoring in some analytics, right? Like expected goals and his usage and things like that. So for whatever that's worth, for those of you that are interested in that or believe in it or buy into it, his season last year, include his production and everything else that kind of comes along with it under the hood is a pretty good player. I mean, you also take those cards, uh, I follow and Velarde are very true. Yeah. No, no question. No, I'm just, but like you said, Hey, the trade's done. It doesn't matter what they do, but you're right. Very, Very true. Very true. So it's, it's, it's interesting. And you know what? It's, uh, it could be, it could be, it could go down. Let's say everything goes right. It could go down as some of the best two or three years of GM work of any GM in Kings history. Getting Fiala on the way out, capitalize on that, capitalize on Victor Arvidsson, getting to know out here, and then putting the bow on it, and having a true number one C be able to take over for Kopitar and Byfield in two or three years is ready to be that two C. Like there's a lot of ifs. 
But if they all start the domino, start falling together, this team could be very good, and there won't be a lull after the Kopitar years uh, going forward. So mm-hmm. um, it's very interesting. You know what? I feel like this is Joe. This is like this is like I got I, I broke like I got broken up with my girlfriend, right? My my girlfriend Gabriel Velarde left me, uh, left me for another team, and I needed to talk to you, and I need you to console me and tell me that everything is going to be okay. Uh, and I think that, uh, I think that you did that. I think I'm kind of warming up to a lot of this idea here. Um, because my main man, Joe talked me through it, you know, and, 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 show, show me the and, listen, and by no means, and cause I totally understand. I get it. When you look at the cost, the contract and the price paid, the amount of players, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, that it's a lot, but. And I'm not looking to convince anybody one way or the other. Like, and I might end up being wrong. Maybe, maybe the guy flops. I don't know. I'm just looking at it like this is how I look at this player. This is how I look at the assets that were made in the trade. Um, and this is how I look at the contract. Because I think those are their three different things, but they all kind of tie in together. Um, and, again, I, 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 as I sit here today with the offseason still plenty to go, I think the Kings are in better shape and better positioned today than they were yesterday but again offseason still young and he potentially solves one of the biggest mysteries is who plays with kevin fiala because we realistically haven't we haven't got that so <laughs> um well man you guys have been electric in the chat going non-stop i can barely keep up with you guys uh so thank you guys for doing that we've hit a buck 40 uh, Joe, you and I were worried about maybe clearing 40 minutes today, and uh, we had no problem doing that. It's typical, typical making it rain days uh, when we were doing over an hour on a on an AHL team. So, I really, you know, the, the the conversation just comes flowing, and I really appreciate that. I appreciate everybody in the chat warming up to it, guys. Warming up. Maybe I'll be a PLD fan sooner rather than later. Uh, wait and see. Just got to prove me right. You know, just gotta just gotta put some points on the board, make me feel okay, and I'll and I'll warm up to you. So. Uh, thank you guys for coming to the chat. As always, you can find our work at HockeyRoyalty.com. Go get your merch. Go get your latest news there. Find us on Twitter at Hockey underscore Royalty, at Randall Commando, 24, at NHL Russell, at JW Paterino. All your rain coverage with Kopitar, 4HOF, uh, DraftKings Co. THPN. They are our sponsor, and I almost forgot to come on and, and let, let you know that this podcast is sponsored by DraftKings. DraftKings uh, use sports their sportsbook app now with code THPN. Just bet $5 and get $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN with DraftKings Sportsbook. Go make some money out there. On uh, Will Pierre Dubois score over uh, his over-under on points? Probably set at, what, 65? Maybe bet the over on that with your Joe. If you're feeling the way Joe is feeling, and uh, and, and go there. And, and Joe, you know, I, uh, always a pleasure, my man, talking some hockey with you. Uh, maybe next season we'll get to actually watch a game together and, and see PLD in action. Uh, that would be that would be some fun stuff. Thank you, fans. Appreciate you guys. And as always on this podcast, go Kings go.